While this podcast will cover information about how to access therapy and other mental health services, it is not intended to be a substitute for said services. This podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you feel you are in need of mental health assistance, please seek out licensed professional care in your area. that type of therapy podcast. Welcome folks to Mental Health Quest, the therapist office and beyond. We're here to answer your questions about mental health, including how to access it, what it looks like, why should you do it? All of the above. And so much more. Welcome, everybody, to Mental Health Quest. Aren't you all excited to be here? This is our 10th episode, uh, and we're covering borderline personality disorder, which I'm kind of excited to learn all the things about. So, I'm Charlene McPherson. I'm an LCSWC and a certified therapeutic game master. I am Benjamin Tice. I'm a registered psychological associate, and we have a very, very special guest with us. She is actually one of my friends um, who I met through superhero therapy training and whatnot. Dr. Nicole Hassler is a licensed clinical psychologist hailing from Buffalo, New York. Go Bills. Go Bills. She is trained in multiple theory modalities, specifically cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy. Dr. Hassler received her doctoral degree in clinical psychology from Medell. Medai. I just totally butchered that name, so sorry anyone else who went to that school. <laughs> Medai College in December of 2018. However, she has been treating patients since 2013 in various settings, such as uh, schools, psychiatric hospitals, private practices, and state and private agencies for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Her focus is mainly in treating children and adolescents struggling with anxiety, depression, and trauma. However, she does work with adults struggling with similar disorders as well as personality disorders, which is what we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Dr. Hassler identifies herself as a full-time geek whose heart has been claimed by all things Batman. In addition, she does also enjoy Marvel and has a penchant for building Legos. Dr. Hassler currently works in private practice, incorporating all things geeky into her therapy practice. Welcome, Dr. Hassler. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Batman is the best superhero. Yeah, for all of our <laughs> listeners, because you can't see, she was holding up a Batman mug because um, mm -hmm. she had to really rep. And she's wearing a Batman shirt. Um, mm -hmm. so in case we were unsure of which hero she likes, <laughs> we wanted to make sure we're all aware. Well, and I got the Batman tattoo sleeve. I oh, mean, come on. Wow. I, I got to represent. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I always loved Batman because I felt like he was a self-made superhero. Like he just took yes. it upon himself to take on crime. That's amazing. Exactly. Like, he's the everyday guy. I mean, yeah, he has billions of dollars, yeah. but I mean, in all honesty, he doesn't really have any superpowers other than a lot of money. Yeah, Correct. which, you know, in the real world is, is like a superpower. Let's not go down yeah. that. That's a different story. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting that, you know, we talk about Batman, and then today's episode is on personality disorders like Borderline, and pretty sure that at least one of his rogues villains has some kind of personality mm -hmm. disorders. Yep. I I actually had uh before I came on here a list of characters uh that have borderline personality disorder and Harley Quinn was one of the ones that popped up. There we go. Uh, I am totally excited to talk about that. First we're going to uh thank our listeners for listening to us and enjoy, if you enjoy our content, please go and review us on iTunes or any of the other platforms that you use. Um, so that other people are able to find our amazing content, especially about Batman and superheroes and RPG therapy. We're also here to answer your questions at Mental Health Quest. 
So if you could please send any questions you have uh, that we can cover on our podcast, you can also reach out to us individually at mentalhealthquest1 at gmail.com. Um, and you can find our podcast on Twitter and Facebook at MHQ Podcast, capital P Podcast. So uh, if you have any questions, send them our way. So here we go. We're getting into it. All right. So we're getting into today's topic, which is borderline personality disorder. And Dr. Hassler, what we like to start off with is just our experts to go over a very uh, overarching kind of definition of what, per, you know, their thing is. And per, this is borderline personality. What is borderline personality? So borderline personality disorder uh, is one of 10 different personality disorders uh, that exist in what is known as the DSM or, you know, in mental health in general. One of the trademark things about borderline personality disorders, a lot of times it, it evolves from trauma, uh, whether that be childhood, physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, things of that nature. So when I work with somebody who has borderline personality disorder, because of the stigma that is associated with this particular disorder, not just by you know, people in general, but the mental health professionals as well. I prefer to look at it through the lens of this person as a trauma survivor to try to eliminate that bias and stigma as much as possible. But really, um, you know, it's just like any other mental health disorder. Uh, it impacts the way people think and feel about themselves, about others, uh, which causes dysfunction in everyday life. For borderline personality disorder in particular, uh, which I might from here on out refer to as BPD because it's a mouthful to say. Mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of self-image issues, a lot of difficulty managing emotions and behavior, a huge pattern of unstable relationships. In particular, uh, people with BPD can have an intense fear of abandonment or instability, which again can come from that childhood or even just trauma in general. They may have a lot of difficulty tolerating being alone. And yet... They still experience bouts of what we determine to be like overwhelming or inappropriate anger, impulsiveness, frequent mood swings, which may push others away. So even though they have this fear of abandonment, because of their emotional instability, they have a tendency to push people away. And it, it typically begins in early adulthood. So one of the things about personality disorders that people need to keep in mind is they cannot be diagnosed until somebody is at least 18 years of age. Uh, I work with a lot of children and adolescents, as Ben mentioned, and a lot of teenage girls. They all look borderline, every single one of them. Um, <laughs> but it's not the hormones. until 18. <laughs> so much. They can't control their emotions. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> but it's important to keep in mind you cannot diagnose it officially until the age of 18. Because uh, that's when personality is considered to be fully developed. I still think that's a little young, but yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's what that's the DSM for you, right? Mm -hmm. And it can gradually get better with age. Typically through treatment, it can gradually get better. Sometimes it can gradually get better on its own, just because of what we call exhaustion. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be exhausting to feel those emotions overwhelming sure. all the time. And there's, there's a ton of symptoms that go along with it. You know, we already mentioned the fear of abandonment. They may even go to like extreme measures to avoid real or imagined separation or rejection. And this can include the therapeutic relationship as well. Mm -hmm. That unstable pattern of intense relationships. Uh, most of the time, they really idolize somebody one minute and the next minute, that person is the devil incarnate. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it happens a lot. Again, can happen a lot in therapy as well. You can be their savior, the person that's going to help them. Nobody else can help them. And then the next moment you say one thing, and now you are the worst therapist on the planet. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of extremes. They go from, you know, from zero to 100 really quickly. Very quick. And I, I feel like it's important to note that, you know, the way that they are looking at things, the way that they are seeing the world around them and perceiving things is very much black and white. They, they don't have a lot of room for gray. And so it's either you're with them or you're against them. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that you say that. So in my office, um, so as, as I mentioned, I'm a full-time geek. I'm also a big Star Wars geek. Um, and in my office, I have the three Jedi codes up on my wall. Uh, there you go. Ben's showing us his baby Grogu pants. Um, 
And, and I do that on purpose because there's this idea, and we could get into it a little bit later, about the three different types of minds that go into what's known as dialectical behavior therapy or DBT, uh, which really correlate to what the Jedi Code is, what the Sith Code is. And the idea is to get to the gray Jedi Code, or what we call wise mind, you know, the infusion of black and white, light and dark, all that sort of stuff. But we could talk about that later. <laughs> I love it. But yeah. There's a ton of like, you know, like Ben said, the extremes. So rapid changes in self-identity and self-image, their goals um, and values are constantly shifting. And they themselves either see themselves as bad or good. And there's no gray. There's no recognition that we may not be good all the time. We, there's still some goodness in us even when we feel like we're bad. There can be a lot of paranoia as well. Lots of contact with reality. Um, I've actually worked with people that have BPD that um, dissociate mm. uh, as well. Uh, and again, that's a trauma response. I was going right? to say, which is a trauma response. Yeah. Yep. A lot of impulsive and risky behavior. This is kind of that trademark of what borderline personality disorder is. Um, so there can be things like gambling, uh, reckless driving, unsafe sex, uh, spending sprees, binge eating, drug abuse, uh, suicidal threats, self-harm behaviors. Uh, we see that often, uh, especially in response to fear of separation or rejection. Mm -hmm. A lot of self-sabotaging. Uh, a lot of what my experience with BPD has been has been in inpatient psychiatric hospitals. And you will gradually see that they're progressing. They're doing very, very well. And when they near that discharge date, they self-sabotage because they're not ready to go. I, I feel like that's a really important thing to kind of note is they don't also have a lot of that kind of self-esteem uh, and that right. belief that, look, yes, I am doing well and I can do this. Like that self-efficacy. Um, my experience with BPT has also been in inpatient psychiatric hospitals. And I can remember one very specific instance of the self-sabotage when it was like coming close to, you know, discharge. And so for almost the entire stay, you know, they want out, like they don't want to be here. So they're going to do the work. They're going to go to groups. They're going to do everything that they need to do to get out. And I had this client, they were doing, you know, phenomenal. Yes. Some hiccups here and there, you know, as happens with BPD, there's going to be hiccups. And I remember I went with them to interview at a boarding care. They, they were very nervous. They were like, you know, because this is something that they wanted. This was a special boarding care that would help them to go back to college and like all these really wonderful things. Great program. Awesome stuff. And we went to the interview and the patient did wonderful. Knocked it out of the park. Like I didn't even need to speak up at all. Like they wanted me there just in case I wasn't needed. We get back to the unit and the next day they were acting up. They were punching walls, they were yelling and, you know, throwing these and every possible like behavior problem. And we're just like, what, what just happened? Like you, you got accepted to this awesome program. It's because they don't believe that they're worthy. So yeah. that kind of self-worth is really difficult to kind of maintain for them. There's, that's one aspect. Another aspect is, again, when you're thinking about the, the sense of rejection and abandonment, and they have this pervasive pattern of believing that everybody is going to leave them, that they're going to constantly be abandoned. Well, when they're in a psychiatric hospital, can't really abandon them, right? The staff mm -hmm. is there 24-7. And so when you're sending them out kind of on their own, even if it's a residential, like halfway house type of thing, they get really scared that they're not going to have that support. They're not going to have those people. They're going to push them away. Those people are going to leave them as well. So they stay in the hospital because it's what feels safe for mm -hmm. them. They know that they're going to have that support as well, um, which makes it really difficult. And self-sabotage is a, is a big thing, especially in that type of setting. And even in private practice, you know, you have that therapist that's been there even no matter how depending on how much you push them away, sometimes you can push so far to the point where the therapist is like, okay, this isn't working. We can't continue. But a therapist that really sticks in there, somebody that they really have a great rapport with, when they're approaching termination stage, they might sabotage because they don't want to lose the therapist, even though they would still have the therapist for the booster sessions and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's just a matter of this is somebody who's been a constant in their life that has not rejected them, that has not abandoned them. And now they're perceiving it as abandonment. 
It happens often. And then uh, just a few other things, like Ben mentioned, again, the extremes, the mood swings that happen, they can go from zero to 100 very, very quickly. Uh, this can last a few hours. It could last a few days. Um, it could be extreme happiness, extreme irritability, uh, shame, anxiety. There's a lot of feelings of emptiness, again, because they feel often very lonely because they've pushed so many people away, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And again, a lot of anger, frequent losing of their tempers. They can be sarcastic and bitter, although who, who isn't? <laughs> I was going to say sarcasm is my first language. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it can even uh, elevate to physical, uh, physical fights as well. Um, but I guess that's my long-winded definition of what borderline personality disorder is. No, it's great. And you covered a lot of what it feels like, you know what I mean? Like what it feels like to have those ups and downs of the emotions and they're so quick and it's so scary. And, you know, all of this is based on, like you said, a trauma response, which um, I really want people to understand that this isn't something that they chose. It's not something that they're like, this is who I want to be. This is the personality that I want. It's that they didn't have that stability when they were younger. So they're not expecting the stability as they get older as well. And so it may seem extreme, but it's a, it's a survival response, right? That's what trauma, uh, trauma responses are, is a, is a survival response. And I think it's, you know, important to look at it. I think one of my issues with the whole label of personality disorders, because people think of personality as, oh, well, that's how you are, like, forever, and that's just how you've always been. But it's not how you've always been, because as we've now discussed, this is a response to trauma and adverse childhood experiences. So it, if anything, borderline P disorder, because I don't want to say <laughs> that word, is more a pervasive pattern of distrust in the world around them because of what had happened to them. And yeah, it can just understandable. Yeah. And what you were saying, you know, Charlene about, you know, these people didn't choose it. And that's a very important thing for people to understand. They're not choosing this, but it seems like it, and this is why it's very difficult for therapists and other healthcare professionals, not just, you know, mental health professionals, but a lot of people to, to work with this population because otherwise, other than these, you know, extreme emotional responses, they are very bright and they do mm -hmm. know what's happening. And so it seems to the untrained professional that they're choosing to behave this way to, you know, just to be, you know, tr troublesome, but they're making choices based off of the way that they perceive the world around them based off of their mm -hmm. experiences, which is how all humans make choices. By the way, BT dubs, all your choices are not just, you know, Oh, I made a choice based off logic. Logic is bull. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Sorry Spock. Like I love you Spock, but, <laughs> no, logic is not something that we can all just like do. We're all of our choices are made based off our emotional responses and our experiences. And so it's really important for not just professionals, but other people who might have loved ones or who know someone who exhibits these kind of behaviors to think about it, you know, what are they really wanting when they're acting this way? To kind of read between the lines almost and listen to the, you know, emotion of it, they're pushing you away because they would rather be the one to push you away than have you leave them. Exactly. Because at least that gives them a sense of control. Yeah. And as a, as a partner or someone who is close to someone with a, a personality disorder, um, I would imagine, you know, healthy boundaries are going to be a really, really important part of that relationship. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely. Um, that is like the number one when you are working with somebody with borderline personality disorder is to ensure that you have healthy, firm boundaries with them. Even if it's somebody that you know in your life, even uh, if you're not a mental health professional, because they, you know, they have a tendency to push. And it, it, again, it's not necessarily intentional. It's not malicious. It's just they, they're so afraid of that abandonment that a lot of times they come off as being clingy and needy. And, you know, when they're struggling, they might call you over and over and over again because they don't know how to cope with what they're feeling. And 
you have to establish those boundaries so that they understand that that behavior is not acceptable, especially in the beginning. Um, when you relax on those boundaries a little bit, um, and I'm just going to use kind of my own experience, mm-hmm. you know, you might get that patient that they'll leave the session. They don't necessarily have the necessary coping skills to deal with what they're feeling. And so they'll call over and over for emergency appointments because they don't know how to cope. They're struggling. Or in, when I was in the uh, psychiatric hospital, um, you know, I'd be running a group and I would have somebody say, like, I need to talk to you right this moment. You know, I, and I'm running a group. I can't stop what I'm doing. And then they get upset and they go and hurt themselves and then they blame you for it. And it's important for them to know, like, no, I, I can't be available to you 24-7. You know, this is when I can be available. And if you want to talk during that time, we can talk. If you choose not to, that's your decision as well, because they will exhaust you mm-hmm. if you don't have those boundaries. You know, and I hate to say that because that's the stigma that goes along with borderline personality disorder, but it is very energy draining. And that's why a lot of times mental health professionals are told when you're working with the, this type of population, having more than two people with BPD on your caseload is going to be too much. Mm-hmm. Especially, again, when those boundaries are not in place, because they will call you mm-hmm. um, if they feel that they can. They will make multiple appointments if they can. They, you know, if they're not ready to learn skills, they're, they're going to rely on you mm-hmm. to help them feel better. Because they're not the best when it comes to looking inward and doing the introspection work uh, to recognize that what they're doing is not necessarily okay. So keeping those boundaries up, letting them know, like, this is when I'm available. This is when we can talk. This is what's acceptable. This is not, this is what's not acceptable. Uh, it's going to be extremely important because it's a learning process for them as well. Mm. Part of uh, setting boundaries. Um, and when I've done a train, I did a, a training on this the, when I was a social worker in the hospital, uh, the psychologist and the psychiatrist did a training on how to communicate with borderline personality disorder patients in order to set the kind of boundaries in a way that was not a brick wall, but was, you know, firm, but understanding. And they were teaching a type of communication style called SET, um, support, empathy, truth. And through this method, basically you are acknowledging, you know, yes, I would like to help you. I would like to be able to support you. That is what I'm here for. And then you show them that empathy, because I think that's a really important thing for a lot of people with borderline personality disorder is that they feel like people don't understand them. And so if you can verbally acknowledge their emotion, you know, I understand that this is really frustrating. I know that this is, it seems overwhelming, you know, really speak to that emotion. It allows them to feel heard, which for anybody, not just people with borderline personality disorder, everybody (laughs) wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be seen, right? And so by, mm-hmm. by being able to acknowledge this and speak to that, it makes this, the last part, the truth, that boundary setting, a little bit easier for them to swallow that pill kind of thing. You know, I, underst- I want to help you. I understand that this is really frustrating, but I'm only available at this time. So I will follow up with you then, you know. Yeah, and I would do that a lot in the psychiatric hospital, especially, you know, I would let them know, like, you know, I'm really sorry that you're struggling right now. I have to do this right now. When I'm done, I have about 20 minutes that I'll be able to talk to you. If you want to talk, I'll be at the desk. Come and get me, you know, if you feel the need to talk. If not, that's okay. I'll follow up with you tomorrow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that sort of stuff. Just to let them know, like, this is how much time I have and put the ball in their court to initiate, you know, okay, this is what she's, this is when she said she's available. It's on me now to pursue like the help that I need. I I was trying to think of a, a good way to bring this up, but like you had talked about the stigma that even therapists have, you know, around borderline. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to kind of talk about that. It's not that borderline's a really hard thing to work with. It's whether that's your area of expertise or not. Right. So 
Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Uh, if you're not used to working with somebody that has, I mean, we're used to working with people that have overwhelming emotions mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. This is this is a little bit different with a personality disorder because it's you know for BPD especially it's it's very overwhelming mm-hmm. and as I mentioned, they're not the greatest when it comes to introspection, especially in the beginning, recognizing how their behavior is causing the issues that they're experiencing. So when you kind of try to do some introspection with them, maybe push a little bit to kind of show them like, hey, what you're doing may be actually causing this person to leave you. They can get really upset. A lot of times they'll take it out on the therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So um, we were talking about this right beforehand. I am a straight shooter. I'm kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. let's step back and really look at the big picture. How do you feel like your behavior? Like, that's like what I do, the CBT, right? Like, you're, let's step yeah. back and look at that um, and that reality checking. And um, with the few um, borderline uh, clients that I've had, it does not work. They get definitely get upset and they don't want to see me anymore and that's why as a therapist I know that I am not trained enough my style does not fit that diagnosis I should refer out to somebody that's more of an expert on how to deal with this so you know for any therapists out there too it's not you know this one's worse than anyone else it's that what is your expertise and what are your limitations and what kind of boundaries do you have i am not a strict boundaries therapist that is just who i am and mm-hmm. so recognizing that limitation doesn't go well with with the treatment with personality disorders like i'm going to say no i'm not the good fit for you i'm going to send you to somebody who is in, in you know our early episodes, uh, we talked about finding a therapist and making sure that the therapist has competency in what it is that you are seeking help with. Mm-hmm. And so, what mm-hmm. Charlene is saying here is for all therapists, you know, before you see any client, you need to make sure: do you have the training? Do you have the expertise? Do you have the you know the understanding of this you know condition to be able to handle it properly? That's just about competency, which every therapist should seek out. Okay, if this is a, an area that you want to work in, then you go f- for the training, you get that competency, so that way you can handle it without getting overwhelmed. Absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to go back to my earlier point in terms of like the introspection. This is not to say that they can't learn it further on down the road. The more you work with them, the better they get. And one of the main biggest reasons why there is such a stigma surrounding it, again, is that when they, when somebody with BPD does get upset with you because maybe you said something, you didn't mean to say it in that way, but they heard it that way mm-hmm. and they're very upset with you. We all struggle with imposter syndrome, right? Mm. Like most of us, yeah, you oh, know, yeah. we feel like we're the worst <laughs> therapists in the world already. We don't know what we're doing. We're frauds. Uh, people with BPD can really feed into that. And that's, again, going back to the boundaries, you know, sometimes with some of my clients, you know, I'm, they know quite a bit about me. Um, You know, we just have that type of relationship with somebody with a personality disorder. It's very important to kind of keep that under wraps because if there's something that they know about you that they know is going to hurt you Mm -hmm. in the moment, again, it's not necessarily a malicious thing, but they may use that against you. Yeah. Yeah. They'll use that against you. And again, and feed into that imposter syndrome, make you feel like you're the worst. And it's like, well, then what am I doing? Why am I here? How, why do you keep coming back to see me? And full disclosure, I currently have somebody on my caseload right now with borderline personality disorder. And she, she got me to my breaking point because she, she really did like every session. It was like nitpicking little things to make me feel like I wasn't doing a great job and that I didn't know what I was doing. And so I sought consultation, even though I've worked with borderline personality disorder before, she's kind of at the beginning stages. I've not, I've not worked with somebody in the beginning stages of it. I've not worked with somebody who's not quite ready to do therapy and I needed to get consultation on it because I was ready to refer her out. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm clearly not the therapist. Right. Right. And then after seeking that consultation, I was like, no, I'm on the right track. Mm. I just, you know, it, it it's at a point where like, I just have to push a little bit, but do it in a very tactful way mm-hmm. and recognize that what she's saying to me, it's not a personal attack against me. It's just 
survival. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was just thinking is, is like when we talk about trauma and survival mechanisms and things like that, we talk about fight, flight, you know, or freeze. And I think there was a fourth one now. I can't remember. Is there now? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I have not heard that. So, <laughs> is that in the TR? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't see that. But this is, this is the fight response, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is the I am being attacked I am being I'm perceiving that I'm being attacked and I need to protect myself and to do that I'm gonna fight back right mm -hmm. you know whereas maybe like depression and anxiety is a little bit more of that you know uh fright response you know what I mean mm -hmm. so you know putting it in those terms as well just the simplest terms I mean this is the fight response the and I would imagine that could also come in handy like when you are like, you could be like a fortune 500, like CEO, if you had that superpower to be like, nah, like, I'm not going to take this from you. And <laughs> this is what we're going to be doing. And you can also use that as well as a therapist in order to do boundary setting. Mm -hmm. So especially with this particular client that I was just talking about, she was very much, you know, the other day, very much in that fight response, was very upset with something that I had said to her the previous session that I did not mean in the way that she took it. Right. I had provided numerous explanations as to what I meant by it, but it wasn't, she just wasn't hearing it that way. And so I just said, you know what? Nothing I say is going to change your opinion. So this conversation is over. Mm -hmm. And she, you could tell she still wanted to fight, but I said, no, this conversation is over. And that's, that's boundary setting right there. Cause it's rather than engaging in the fight, rather than perpetuating it, and, you know, furthering, you know, what their, what their feelings are about you and the world and whatnot, you just shut it down. Yeah. Instead of escalating it, you're de-escalating. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, I kind of, you know, like what you said about, you know, the other, you know, in the real world, someone who can do this, it can be like a super, you know, superpower. That's an important thing because a lot of times people with borderline personality disorder, they're told that their behaviors are bad. Well, if we can reframe it as, okay, this is your way of defending yourself. This is your survival mechanism. This is a superpower used in the right way. You know, it can be really empowering, I think, for these kind of people to say, well, yeah, you're right. I have this ability to see things differently and I can, you know, really narrow in on problems that can happen. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, how do we use that? trait that you are exhibiting this behavior that you already have how can we use that for your betterment and for the betterment of right. others you know how do you be a hero in real life which is my whole therapy mindset <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah now and it, you know and, and like you said like using it learning how to use it in the right settings and the right ways with the healthy boundaries and all that stuff like you could like i think about my adhd sometimes it's both a hindrance and a superpower because i can do more work in three hours than people can do in you know a whole week if i'm hyper focused and it's good work right so using, you know, this as well is this like, you know, you could be in a business. I imagine like the stock exchange, like you could like go far. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, nah, this is what I'm going to be doing. Um, the, in business and in, in law, they could be really good as lawyers because they can see the flaws oh, and yeah. arguments and contracts and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and reading people. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. you know, just as a trauma response, usually that comes with that, right? Is being able to read people. I actually remember I had a conversation with uh, a borderline uh, personality disorder client of mine a while back about superheroes and everything. That was when I was first learning about the superhero therapy thing, um, as uh, taught to us by Dr. Janina Scarlett, who was on a previous episode about PTSD. And so I was just, this was the, the client was new to the unit. So I was just trying to get to know them. You know, I was just like, oh, mm -hmm. hey, you know, do you like superheroes or whatever? Uh, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I really like Spider-Man. I was like, okay, let's talk about Spider-Man. And, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, I always feel like I have the spider senses and, you know, cause I can always just feel like something wrong is going to happen. I was like, okay, all right. Is that a bad thing? And they're like, well, it feels like it is. I was like, why? You, if you're, you're predicting danger. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. people, what that's 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 a superpower right there so you know it's uh really important to kind of be able to reframe 
a client's experiences because shame and stigma mm. are not just external. Uh, they, especially when it comes to mental health conditions and borderline personality disorder, there's a lot of internal shame and stigma as well. They are stigmatizing themselves. And so by being able to provide this reframe, it, it's, it can be freeing. And it also can help them to just be like, wow, I, I don't have to be this way. Yeah. And to go along with that, as I mentioned, the stigma, you know, not just amongst mental health professionals, but just in the general population in and of itself, if so, a lot of times, if you diagnose somebody with borderline personality disorder, immediately they're like, that's not what I have. I don't have that. Yeah. You, you know, it's important to be able to talk to them about like, well, what, why, what is the issue surrounding that? Like, why do you have such a reaction to having this diagnosis? And, you know, what is so bad about it? Mm -hmm. And it's just because of what they've been taught. Like, it just means that I'm crazy. It means that, you know, I, I can't keep a job. I can't keep friends. I can't keep family. You know, it's, you get, again, that reframe is going to be super important to recognize like, hey, there's, this doesn't mean that it's not a death sentence. Mm -hmm. You know, number one, you can get better. And number two, you can use it to your benefit. Yeah. So uh, I, if you all are okay with moving on to kind of talking about the differences between borderline personality and some of the other uh, personality disorders. Um... Yeah. So there, are, as I mentioned in the beginning, there's 10 different personality disorders and they're separated into three different clusters, uh, cluster A, cluster B, cluster C. And cluster A, that's our, um, our odd or our eccentric cluster. Um, that's where we're going to have our paranoid personality disorder, our schizotypal personality disorder, our schizoid personality disorder. I know some of the people listening probably don't know the differences between those. Mm -hmm. um, but paranoid is really pretty much what it sounds like. Very, very paranoid of the world around you, the people around you, things like that. Uh, schizotypal is almost like a schizophrenia type. Of, I always, the way that I differentiate between schizotypal and schizoid a schizotypal is more of the positive symptoms of schizophrenia, mm -hmm. where a schizoid is more of the negatives. Minus the hallucinations. And, and Minus the hallucinations. Well, the positive symptoms would be, yeah, yeah. but yeah, 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 hallucinations and whatnot are characteristic of schizophrenia. Yeah. Uh, cluster B, uh, which is where borderline personality disorder falls into, this is our dramatic, our emotional, our erratic cluster. You know, oh, Again, stigmatizing a little bit. Uh -huh. uh, um, but this is where you're going to find... Borderline, as I mentioned, this is where you're going to find your antisocial personality disorder, your histrionic personality disorder, and your narcissistic personality disorder, which I think is what the, probably the cluster that people are most familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, and then cluster C, which is our anxious or fearful cluster. Uh, this is where our, we're going to find our dependent personality disorder, our avoidant personality disorder, and our obsessive compulsive personality disorder. So again, in terms of like, I recognize I didn't differentiating the cluster Bs, what the difference is. Antisocial personality disorder, a lot of people hear that. This is where you kind of hear the term sociopath. These are the people that, you know, really have no empathy. It doesn't mean that they're evil, necessarily. It doesn't mean that they're the Ted Bundys of the world that, gonna, that are going to go out and murder people. Uh, it's really just that they lack emotion. They lack empathy. Um, and again, that in and of itself is a superpower because mm. many people with antisocial personalities sort of go on to be CEOs and mm -hmm. ha politicians. I can think of a few. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> they don't, because honestly, they don't care how, to, how they get to the top, you know, who, who gets hurt in the process. And I know that sounds very callous to say, but that is really what it is. And as a society, uh, we kind of reward that. So, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Does it really disorder them? <laughs> yeah, like... Maybe it only becomes a disorder when they actually physically harm somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, the histrionic, um, this is more of like a person who needs to be the center of attention all the time, all eyes on me type of person. And narcissistic is really what it sounds like. This is the person that's obsessed with themselves, has a very inflated sense of ego, everything, like I said, everything is about them. Uh, whereas histrionic wants the attention on them more for that validation and whatnot. Narcissists kind of want it 
because they just think they're awesome. Uh, when a lot of times they're really I think not. It's a, a, a good way to think about it is. I think of another one there too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think a good way to kind yeah. of conceptualize the differences between those is, you know, borderline, they want connection, but struggle to find it. They do. Histrionic, they want sympathy. And so they, they take it. Uh, antisocial don't want nothing, but they'll take it anyways. And yep. narcissistic, they don't want anything from you because they already have everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to differentiate. And then in terms of the cluster C's, um, you know, dependent is really about kind of what it sounds like. You're very dependent on other people for validation, for for your own needs, that sort of thing, um, to a fault. This is where it it was funny when we talked about earlier about Harley Quinn being borderline. I've always seen her as kind of the dependent personality type because I feel at least early on she's been so dependent on Joker for her own identity. Maybe not so much now the way she's written, but at least early on. And it is possible that people can have comorbid, you know. They can have both. Mm -hmm. Uh, Avoidant is, again, kind of like it sounds like kind of avoid you know, people and things and whatnot. I know that sounds very introverted, but it's more to an extreme mm-hmm. and obsessive compulsive. Uh, it's not, it's not raised to the level of like a full on obsessive compulsive disorder, but it's a, uh, you know, very rigid uh, type of belief system, very rigid in their struct in their routines and structures and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's not so much due to anxiety as it is just like, this is just how I like things done. Yep. This is how, Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for all those definitions because uh, I haven't heard those since probably my social work, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. days in school because um, it doesn't get covered a lot, right? Like it, it, it right. especially in our field. And then I also, since we keep talking about like superpowers and we can get there <laughs> and you know, all that sort of stuff, I wanted to talk about treatment, right? Like we're talking yeah. about you can use this as a superpower as long as you get treatment and you learn how to use it in healthy ways. So as far as treatment, what is the best treatment for personality disorder? So the end-all, be-all, Mac Daddy treatment for BPD is what is known as dialectical behavior therapy, or DBT, uh, developed by uh, the one and only Marsha Linehan. Um, yep, Shout out to her. Linehan. <laughs> yep. Shout out to Marsha. Exactly. It, it was developed really to help people that have a lot of overwhelming emotions. It helps people handle distress um, without losing control, acting uh, destructively. It, it, it gives us a way to help them manage those emotions. And there's four particular skills that are associated with this. The first being distress tolerance, which helps them cope more with uh, painful events by building up resiliency, giving them new ways to soften the effects of upsetting circumstances. That's usually the first module. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness, of course, because we all love mindfulness. (laughs) It it helps them experience the present moment. Uh, You know, that's what mindfulness is, right? While focusing less on painful experiences from the past, Uh, frightening possibilities from the future. And again, it gives them the tools to overcome uh, negative judgments about themselves and others, things that have become habit for them as well. Like we're focusing right now on the present. We're not focusing on who you were or who you might be. We're right here, right in this moment. Emotion regulation, that's the big one, obviously. This is recognizing more clearly how the person feels and observing the emotion without getting overwhelmed by it. That's a, it's a hard skill to learn, uh, I think for anybody, um, but especially with this, uh, with BPD, um, the goal is to be able to modulate um, their feelings without reacting um, or behaving in reactive, destructive ways. And then of course, interpersonal uh, effectiveness, which gives new tools to express beliefs and needs uh, set limits and negotiate solutions to their problems um, while protecting relationships and treating others with respect. So that's really what uh, DBT is. If you do more formalized DBT type of therapy, there's a few other things uh, with it. A lot of times therapists will do a check-in in between sessions, whether that's a phone call or you know maybe a brief like teletherapy type of a, uh, session. 
This is not something that I do. I'm not fully trained in DBT. And sometimes, especially in the beginning, again, when you're setting those boundaries, it can get a little dicey. So DBT is, is what we uh, particularly use. Um, medication you can use medication to help treat symptoms mm -hmm. of borderline so maybe antidepressants if they're experiencing a lot of depression anti-anxiety meds if they've got a lot of anxiety going on but there is no one there's no medication specifically for bpd there's no medication for personality disorders in general because again this isn't necessarily something that you can just fix mm -hmm. with you know not that you can really fix any sort of mental right. health related issue without a combination but this in particular it's it's personality yeah so you know we're not looking to fit you know to medicate your personality mm -hmm. we're looking to help you you know Bro. form better coping yeah 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 and that um definitely think that that's uh, uh an important distinction is um when we talk about medication, when we're talking about depression and anxiety and things like that, we're talking about, you know, imbalances in the chemicals in our brains and things like that. And then with trauma, though, there is an effect on the physical brain, right? Um, and that's what we're dealing with is like that physical effect that then comes out as that fight response or whatever, right? So that's a little bit different. Have you ever heard of people using like EMDR along with like DBT and stuff like that because it's a trauma response? I I have heard that. I've not seen it used very often. Mm -hmm. It it seems at least in my area that EMDR is limited to more PTSD. So I'm not sure in other areas if this is something that is used more in combination. Mm -hmm. I don't see why it couldn't be mm -hmm. uh, for somebody that has a lot of trauma, but I know a lot of times um, in working with people with BPD, it takes a while for them to get to a point where they're ready to face their trauma, as it could be with PTSD as well. But especially with BPD, it's almost like, you know, the trauma becomes a part of them. I actually have um, not done myself. I'm not EMDR trained, but um, someone that I uh, work with, they were telling me that, you know, they had they had a, a BPD client, um, you know, also had a lot of trauma. And so they 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 didn't do the emdr first you know like uh, nicole said maybe they're not ready to really delve into the trauma so you need to first work on building the coping skills the ability to recognize emotions and those kind of skills first and then move into emdr and that is what my colleague had done so it, it can be done it is just you have to be very careful with it because the whole point of emdr is to almost relive in a way, uh, the trauma. And so you have to be very careful in the way that you are approaching it, the way that you are welcoming in the trauma back into the present moment, because it, it has the potential to be very scary for the client. And they might, especially someone with BPD who sees people, you know, as, oh my God, the second you do this wrong, then you're against me or whatever. They, they could get really you know, upset by by talking about their trauma, that they might see you as someone bad that you're just trying to hurt them. And so I think while it can be done, you do have to be very careful about it, how you do it. And I think it probably would take a while of DBT work and building that trust yes. with the client before you can really broach that topic. They're not the greatest when it comes to introspection and recognizing how events in their life have shaped who they are and the behaviors that they are exhibiting, you know, right. It's a, it's very external, especially in the beginning. It's everybody else. It's not necessarily them. And so introducing that a little too early on, like, Hey, this could be why you're doing this or why you're doing that. And they might get defensive. And again, there's that fight where it's like, well, I'm not doing that. You know, I, it's, it's everybody else. It's not, and that can cause a lot of disruption. So I would agree. I would do a lot more DBT work first before even broaching how the trauma has impacted their behavior when they're at a point where they're ready to recognize that it's, it's the behaviors that they're exhibiting that are causing them the more, most of the distress. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. No, of course, like I said, I'm more of a, I, I go straight for it. I'm like, let's, yeah. let's poke it. Let's poke the bear. So, yeah. so <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't sound that works like that works too well, uh, at least at first. 
you know, yeah, you I wouldn't say that. that <laughs> you have to create that uh, that trust, which again is, is part uh, important for every therapeutic relationship. Um, but sometimes, you know, you need that a little bit more. You know, it sounds like in in these type of instances. Yeah, with the with the client that I currently have, um, you know, I, she did disclose to me that she has some uh, that she had been raped mm -hmm. at one point in her life. I've been meeting with her for quite a long time and she still will not allow me to use the word rape in session. It's so it's not, again, you got to kind of feel it out a little bit because they just may not be there yet. You got to give them the skills to be able to cope with it first, first before, before being able to, re, to, to introduce scary thoughts that they haven't thought about in years. Yeah. And again, like that's the whole trauma process, right? Like when you're processing trauma, you want to make sure they have the skills um, but I guess this is where, like, you know, the skills that they have are not helping, you know, at all. So you have to, you know, I'm going to start from scratch. Here are some healthy, healthy coping mechanisms to be able to deal with the emotion regulation and, and things like that. That totally makes sense. Just, uh, and it t totally makes sense that I would not be a patient enough person. <laughs> to be able to, to do that. I am, I am, I have ADHD. I'm impulsive. I'm like, let's poke the bear. Let's get it done. Let's get it, you know? And so definitely would need more training. I'm sure if I had training and, you know, uh, stuff like that, it would be okay. But uh, thank you all for doing that work so that I um, <laughs> can be my impulsive self and impatient self. <laughs> I'm jealous of that. <laughs> And then just uh, one last point about DBT that I that I kind of alluded to in the beginning is that th the concept of the three minds. Um, so we have a rational mind, a reasonable mind, uh, which is very logical, very just the facts, ma'am. This is our brain kind of like on robotic thinking without emotion. Then, of course, we have emotion mind, which sounds exactly like it sounds. Uh, we're acting on pure emotion, which is where most people with BPD tend to function. It's you know, the emotions are in control. And the whole idea is to get to the concept of what is known as wise mind, which is the con which is the combination of both, both reasonable and emotion, logic and emotion, that sort of stuff. And that's where my posters come into play with the Jedi codes, because the Jedi are very rigid, right? Very non-emotion, non-attachment. This is where our reasonable mind kicks in, just the facts. That's how the Jedi operate. Emotion mind, very much like the Sith, right? We're full emotion, anger, hatred, use it to achieve a goal, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then nobody talks about the gray Jedi that use both. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, which I'm still, you know, very much on board. I think Luke Skywalker is a gray Jedi. Mm. Uh, we know Ahsoka is a gray Jedi. They use both their attachments. They use... Uh, their emotions, you know, to be able to succeed. So I don't want to spoil the Mandalorian, but I was like, oh, that's, or was it Boba Fett? I can't remember. It was the most recent one, Boba Fett, because um, Grogu had to make a decision. Grogu did have to make a decision. he was going to do, like, the logic or whether his uh, emotions, he should follow his emotions. I won't say what he did because I don't want to ruin it, but... But can we say, like, and I don't want to spoil anything either, but the person that made him choose, like, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. Consider, considering where he came <laughs> from, considering where he came <laughs> from, he does not want to talk. For fear of, you know, getting too distracted in the Star Wars talk, because I could go on. Um, in the in the Legends novels that, you know, were previously considered canon compliant before the new, you know, stuff came out, before Disney took over, they did talk a lot more about um, the Grey Jedi uh, as a... Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, as a separate uh, entity, they, you know, the, the Grey Jedi Code is only actually found in Legends. It's not in the new canon. And um, the new Jedi Order that was founded by Luke actually did allow for more blending of emotions and traditional Jedi teachings, which I thought was much better than strict... No, you're not allowed to touch another person. It's like, uh, no, what? yeah, uh, yeah. Gray Jedi is gray, and gray is not bad. People like to think, oh, gray is just so gray. It's like, um, gray gives you the best of the white and the dark. 
there's no light without dark. There's no peace without chaos. That's the gray Jedi code, right? Like that's what it is. Yeah. And I tend to be more of a Trekkie. So you mentioned Spock earlier. Uh, yeah, he definitely has, he has the opposite problem, right? He's trying to be logical and denying his emotions completely. And by the end, I don't know if anybody's seen Discovery and things like that, but finding the balance between those two is how he finally found peace. Um, and I actually had a client like specifically tell me recently that they were like, I'm Spock. Emotions are crap. I don't want them. Why do I have to have them? I'm like, well, <laughs> if you like Spock's trajectory, like his actual like arc, you should go watch it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he figures out how to integrate the two. As, you know, Dr. Hustler, Nicole uh, was talking about, you know, the emotional mind, the logical mind and the wise mind. I actually was thinking in my head about different like Star Trek races, you know, because in Star Trek, oftentimes they do kind of personify certain, you know, species as just monoliths of a certain thing. So Klingons are very emotional, you know, yes, war, battle, that's the emotional mind. Vulcans, pure-blooded Vulcans, not Spock, are, you know, pure logic. And then they don't really talk about it a lot, but I think this kind of heavily implied that humans are supposed to be the wise one because we, we, you know, react based on our emotions, but we also can see logic if we need to. It's like, ah, oh, wow, way to be humanocentric. But, <laughs> you know, as, as Charlene said, you know, Spock has to learn how to balance his emotions and his logic to be something different, to be more than the sum of his parts. Yeah, because he would go to either extreme, the extreme logic or the extreme emotion, and it wasn't working for him. Mm-hmm. And what does that sound like? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and to bring and to bring it back again to BPD and and Star Wars, um, Anakin Skywalker is a good example of somebody who most likely would struggle with borderline personality disorder. You know, and this is again not to say that people with BPD are evil because mm-hmm. he's portrayed as the villain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's preoccupied with abandonment and loss. He's got a lot of passion, very intensive passion. He's sensitive. He's got a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. He's very impulsive. He's paranoid about betrayal. He's sh- frequently shifting between what he thinks and feels and feelings of being lost and empty and unsure of his identity and true self. Like that's very BPD. Um, so Anakin Skywalker is a pretty good depiction of somebody that has but that could... you know, even Anakin was able to turn back to the light and everything. Back to the light, mm-hmm. yes, he was. Oh, I love this stuff. It's so good. <laughs> we, we, we could go <laughs> on, but uh, you know, yeah, uh, I I think we covered a lot of good stuff, and uh, definitely thank you so much uh, for coming on, um, uh, Doctor Hassler. So, um, so thank you, Doctor Hassler, for coming on to the podcast. We definitely really enjoyed. I enjoyed all the information, um, and I know Benjamin probably did yes, too. Yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> so at the end, we usually um, try and say like where you can find us on the internets. The interwebs. So I don't know <laughs> the interwebs. You can find me uh, at Nat Twenty Therapy on both Twitter and Facebook, and I have my website is live now is www.nat20therapy.com. Pretty easy, um, and I have True Form Unseen on TikTok, and I'm gonna have all sorts of public engagements coming up. So keep keep an eye on that. Um, so Dr. Hassler, where would we find you? Good luck. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So I don't quite have a website yet. Uh, I'm working on that. It's it's in process. Um, But if you wanted to find me on Facebook, you can find me um, at Nicole Christine, uh, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E. And that's pretty much where you'll find me as of right now. Uh, I just started my private practice last year and I'm working on getting the whole incorporation stuff going so I can get a website up and running. (laughs) <laughs> but I also may have a few engagements coming up as well. So uh, I'm sure uh, Ben will keep you all informed as to what yes. those engagements may be. Definitely. Well, you know, t- spoiler, we have uh, submitted some panel ideas for tags, uh, which for our listeners is the Therapeutically Applied Geek and Gaming Summit, uh, which is a, you know, online conference for geek therapists like us to just talk about geeky psychology things. 
Um, so we are hoping to get chosen. Fingers crossed, everybody, that we get chosen. Yeah, fingers have crossed. I have one in there too, so we'll see. So, uh, and then for myself, uh, you can find me not only through the Mental Health Quest podcast social media pages, but I do have another podcast uh, that I am still kind of starting up. There's two episodes out. It is called My Hero Therapy, and it is a deep dive into the psychology of the My Hero Academia anime. And we learn how to be heroes in real life. Um, I will actually be uh, recording another episode today after we lock off this. Um, so hopefully new episodes coming soon. But check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at My Hero Therapy. May the force be with you. Yes. yes. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Yes. <laughs> Oh, thanks, everybody, and thanks for listening again, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Thank you, guys. Go Bills! Please take care of yourselves and make today amazing. Mm-hmm.